0: Our state is attractive. Over the last decade, many people have moved to the state of Texas. In fact, in 2021, Texas had the biggest population growth of any state in the United States. And a big contributing factor to that was the 170,000 plus people who moved here from other states. And they move here because they believe that they know what they're going to experience in Texas. They believe that it's it's a known quantity to them of what they will find if they move here. Avliving.com, which is a real estate company that specializes in luxury condos, posted a blog about the reasons why people are moving to Texas? Why cities like Houston and Austin and Dallas, why those are attractive to people? Reason number one, a booming job market. Uh, People believe that they will be able to, to find a job, they'll be able to find employment, and they'll be able to support their families. Reason number two is cost of living. People have fled places like California and New York because it's way too expensive and they're seeking affordability in their life. Sunnier days, right? We like our sunshine down here in Texas. It's like one day is cloudy and I'm complaining. Warmth. Yes, I know. We think it's bitter cold when it hits 40 degrees, right? I got to tell you, that's weak sauce in the rest of the country, okay? That is not cold, but we think it's cold, right? we like the sunshine? We like the, the days that we get to enjoy, and we will sweat it out all through the summer because when it's 65 in the middle of January, ain't nobody complaining, right? Number four, diverse culture. Uh, whether it's food or live entertainment that you can find, a winning baseball team, college football, high school football, all kinds of things that are available. Diversity of ethnicities—you get you can find all kinds of things—and you toss that all together with some southern hospitality, and it's a nice place to live. People are excited to move to Texas because they know what they're going to experience would you be excited to move to a place that you knew nothing about and no weather reports you didn't know if it was going to be hot or cold if most of the days it were cloudy or sunny no idea what cold actually was in that part of the world if you had no idea if there were opportunities for you for employment, could you support your family? Would you be able to do that once you got there? No clue about the kind of people that lived there. Uh, would they be friendly or angry? Would they be hospitable or antisocial? Would they be welcoming or just plain mean? Would you uproot your family and leave everything that you knew, everything that was comfortable to go to a place that you knew nothing about? And especially if you didn't even know exactly where it was that you were going to settle down. Would you do that? Abram did. Genesis chapter 12 introduces us to this man who did just that. And you might know him better as Abraham. But in Genesis chapter 12, we hear how God called him to move away from his own family to a place that God himself would show him. And so in Genesis chapter 12, we read this. The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now there's some things to know about Abram. He's 75 years old. And that's like retirement age. That's like settle down and enjoy all the things that you've worked for in your dream spot. It's not typically when you uproot your family and move clear across country. 75 years old, God called him to leave everything that he knew, his... his family, his his father's household, to to leave the familiarity that was there, to leave the, the protection of living and working where his father had made a name, right? God called him to leave all that, leave his people, his country, his comforts, his security, the culture to which he was accustomed to, and to move... To a new place. An undisclosed location that eventually God would make known to him, and we know where that is, and it would be like moving from Houston, Texas to Portland, Oregon by foot. And camel and donkey, there ain't no U-Hauls right now, right? And it would be just as drastic a culture shift And Abram did it. We hear Abram went just as the Lord told him. And not only did he go, but then he also responded with praise. We find out that as he went, and God came to him and said, To your offspring I will give this land, Abram built an altar. And again in verse 8, there he built an altar to the Lord and he called on the name of the Lord. He responded with praise. Even before God actually fulfilled the promises that he gave, Abram responded with public praise. And so Abram demonstrates for us a, a bold, strong faith in his God to keep his promises. And I want you to take a look at the promise that God gave to Abraham. There's seven parts to this promise. In the Bible, seven is a very special number. Seven is a number that signifies completeness, wholeness, even perfection. And so this promise that God brought to Abraham, it's a complete promise. It's a perfect promise. Listen to that promise. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I'll make you into a great nation. Abram's 75 years old, and he and his wife, Sarah, who wasn't that much younger than him, do not have any children. I will make your name great. He's moving him to a place where no one knows his name. No one knows who he is. Again, as 75. Not how I would create a legacy. God says, I'll, I'll curse whoever curses you. Could God really protect Abram in, in this new land, a foreign land where no one knows who he is and, and he's coming to their land? I mean, it's their territory, their turf, and they are going to want to protect it. These are massive promises from God. And to Abram, they probably seemed impossible. Because sometimes God makes impossible promises. God has made many promises to you. The the Bible contains all kinds of promises that God has made for you. When do they seem impossible to you? God promises that in all things... No matter what you're going through, no matter what you experience, whatever you endure, any challenge, any achievement, any joy, any success, any sadness, any failure, any setback, whatever you experience, God says, I'm at work in all of that for your good. Always. I can can take all of that, even the the difficult, challenging things that you go through, and, and I can somehow turn them to be for your good. When death strikes, when it rips away a a family member unexpectedly, when it becomes your new reality through a dreaded prognosis, or when it frightens your children, God comes and he says, I have comfort for you. I have hope to give you resurrection hope and life after death have you ever looked at something that's dead there's no life there there's no hope and yet god promises it god promises hope massive promises from your god when do they seem impossible for you And dear friends, I want to tell you today that this account that we have of Abram, it gives you reason to trust and believe in God even when he makes impossible promises. Abraham serves as a, a great example of faith, right? We see that he followed God, he obeyed, he went. But there's more to his story. He struggled. He doubted. He had failings and faults. And there were times when Abraham thought that that he could accomplish things better than God could, even though he couldn't. But the thing is, this account, it isn't primarily about Abraham's faith. And it isn't primarily about Abram's actions motivated by that faith. This account is primarily about God. It's about God and His faithfulness. It's about God and how God keeps all His promises. That's what we can learn from this. And so, We could ask, why would Abram believe God? But the better question to ask is actually, why would God have Abram move? Why would God ask Abram to trust him? Because God keeps all his promises. And you look at that promise that God had given to Abram one more time, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. It's I, 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 I. It's all about God, all the way. And were you paying attention? Did you count? We didn't get to the seventh part yet. We didn't get to the seventh phrase, the phrase that makes this promise whole and complete, the phrase that makes it a perfect promise. Where God says, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. A blessing for all people. Through Abram and his family, God would choose to bless all the families on the earth. Every tribe, every language, every nation, every people, every group would be blessed. Because out of his pure, undeserved grace, God chose Abram to be that family, that nation through which he would bring his promised Savior, a Savior for all people. And that's all God all the way. Abram had no children. His wife was barren. God called him to move to a new place. He commanded him to move to this new place so that he could establish Abram's history and the history of God's chosen people in the very crossroads of the world. An intersection of continents, commerce, trade, and traction. God called Abram to move there to this crossroads of the world because God was going to orchestrate the history of the world so that his work, his activity, his promises could have a massive impact when the Savior came. And so we want to see Jesus there. We want to see the continuation of God's promise to send that one who would crush the serpent's head. The one who would free us from the bondage of sin. The one who would rescue and redeem us. The one who would take away that that hostility that exists between human beings and God who would replace it with peace. That hostility that so often tears at our trust in God's great and precious promises. That one would come from the family of Abram. After many, many, many generations, God would fulfill his greatest, most impossible promise. He would hold true to his word and he would send a savior for all people. A blessing for all. And Jesus is that blessing for all people. And what attracted Jesus to move here? What attracted Jesus to leave his place of comfort and security in the highest heights of heaven above and come to our world? You know, Jesus knew what he was going to experience too. And it was not the amenities that a luxury condo company would put on their brochure or that would make the advertising for the state agency trying to get people to move here. Jesus knew what he could expect. He knew that he would arrive at a place that was full of sin. Disobedience and rebellion against God. Harsh rejection of God's own word that speaks the truth against our moral failings. Against the human condition. Jesus knew that he would arrive in a place that was infected with immorality. And he would be surrounded by people who abused God's greatest gifts. Jesus knew that his destination featured vehement rejection against the truth that he would speak from his own lips as he would usher in God's kingdom. And Jesus knew the job that he would find, that God had sent him to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, even if it was rejected. But Jesus came because he also saw endless opportunities. Countless souls to whom he could open up the gift of God's grace. Who he could invite into this kingdom of blessing. There would be a massive cost of living. The cost of his very own life. Because as God orchestrated all of world history so that Jesus would be in this crossroads of the world, he also orchestrated it so that there would be a hill in the crossroads of the world. And on that hill, a cross would be constructed. A cross that would become the altar that God would build up in the sight of all people's And at that altar, Jesus himself would call upon the name of the Lord, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For your salvation and mine. For your rescue and mine. So that you would be God's own child, his own son, was forsaken. God's greatest, most impossible promise was fulfilled on that hill where that cross stood. Satan defeated. Sin forgiven. Righteousness restored to God's people through faith and trust in his promises. And when you see Jesus here when you see Jesus in the life of Abraham and you see Jesus here in God's impossible promises that he gives you see the reason to trust God as boldly as Abram did because your God keeps all his promises even the impossible ones Your God is the one who is worth worshiping and praising. Your God has rescued and redeemed you from all sin. And it's all about God. His love demonstrated in Jesus gives you every reason to trust him. It's why you don't need to fear when the future seems uncertain or unknown. It's why you don't need to be afraid of old age. It's why you can walk with confidence no matter where you are, whenever you are, wherever you are. Because God keeps all his promises. And it's exactly why you also can proclaim God's trustworthiness. When Abram constructed those altars to the Lord, He did so as he was surrounded by many people who didn't know why they could trust in God. They didn't know why they could call on the name of the Lord. Abram proclaimed the God who keeps his promises, who brings about a blessing for all people. A lot of people are moving to Texas. You are surrounded by many, many people. And many of them don't know why they can trust in God. Many of them don't know Jesus. They don't know God's massive promises that He has given to them. How might you become a blessing for them? Through your love, through your kindness, through your empathy, through your care, your concern. And might you build up an altar through those actions? Might you you build up an altar in their sight through which you can testify to the trustworthiness of God through which you might help them to see Jesus, the blessing for all people. What altars can you build for the Lord to help others to see Jesus? Amen?